And we're live. Hey, 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 my name is Yvonne Sasson. I'm the host of Startup REI Show, the number one real estate investing show for startup angel investors. Um, if you haven't done so already, please check out www.startupireishow.com. Today we have a uh, guest. His name is David Mandel, and I'll give it to him. Let's see where he's at. Oh, here he is. Uh, hi, David. Good to see you. Hello. Good to be we're here. We're live now. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Um, according to his LinkedIn, he's a emerging tech super angel uh, who, who has invested in over 500 startups. And now he wants to have you join him and gain access to curated, diversified portfolio of tomorrow's tech giants. So I'm assuming you're investing in unicorns. Is, is that right, David? Uh, that's a, a great kickoff. So um, yeah, our current fund is Emerging Ventures Fund 2, uh, which is going to invest in approximately 75 tech startups. Um, over two and a half years, we already made 29 investments from Fund 2. So we're right in wow. the middle of that. And uh, okay. some of them do definitely have unicorn potential. We can dive into that more later. Okay. Okay. Well, first off, I really want to ask you, um, I know these are um, titles that we get from like uh, our accomplishments or successes. Um, I know you're human too. Um, without these titles, you are human. Um, uh, so uh, my question to you is, why do you do what you do now? That's a, a great question. And I've spent about 28 years in building, uh, operating, and then exiting four different uh, businesses all right. around insurance and finance. Okay. And uh, a lot of them overlapped. In many years, I've owned and operated multiple. It wasn't mm -hmm. all sequential. Um, and... In 2014, um, I've exited my my largest business at the time, which was Alliance United Insurance Company. It was uh, an auto insurance underwriter in California. Sold it to okay. Kemper. Uh, wow. We had some investors, and we sold to Kemper, which was a public company. And with the deliberate idea that I, I didn't want to operate businesses anymore, I didn't. I wanted to get out of being an operator. And uh, I wanted to focus on tech investing because before that, I've already started to dabble in some angel investing. And right. I started to see that it's an amazing time. Uh, so I, you know, when I to take a step back, when I finished, got, when I graduated from grad school around 91, um, I wanted to work in artificial intelligence. And okay. it really just wasn't a good time for it. And I wound up getting into business. It was um, you know, time when the fence industry was just being paired back dramatically. And mm -hmm. um, it was before the internet was cool. Right. Uh, it was kind of the dark ages of AI. There was very little being done, uh, very little being done in tech in some way. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of really smart people couldn't find jobs in their field. So, uh, like many others, I went into business, and yeah. uh, I, you know, one thing led to another. It was a great almost thirty years of learning and building businesses yep. uh, around the insurance industry and the finance industry of different kinds. Uh, it was a it was a great experience, and it worked out financially well for me. But mm -hmm. you know, yeah. yeah. It started to come a time now where I saw that, wow, what I was hoping to do 30 years ago, it actually live happening now. It was the perfect convergence of emerging technologies, you know, with mm -hmm. fast processors and the GPUs, you're getting 
real machine learning AI happening and you're having transform and with I with sensors and IOT devices and so forth, you're starting to have and big data coming around, you're starting to have a new renaissance of transformation in every business and every vertical. I was seeing it myself in the yeah. insurance space and in the finance space where vendors were coming to us with natural language processing technologies and all kinds of new innovations to try to improve our businesses. And it's Correct. like, you know, I want to be on that side. I want to, I, and I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go back at, and uh, do graduate work in AI and get, and start a startup. Uh, I'm, you know, it's past my time. It's time to mm -hmm. support the next generation. There's these amazing, bright mm -hmm. people, uh, amazingly smart, starting all these uh, startups in AI and other emerging techs. Right. And I want to be there. I want to spend the rest of my life helping them. I want to go out there. So I deliberately exited my operating businesses and mm -hmm. decided to become a full-time tech investor and get into that scene, join angel groups, um, started to go to conferences everywhere and follow all the different incubator accelerator programs. Some were great, some not so much over the years, learned what works, but um, I do what I do because it's a deliberate, uh, I'm fortunate to be doing something that I chose. I was right. able to exit the businesses that were my livelihood and now focus on investing in technology because I love spending my day talking to the brightest people inventing the future. I mean, what can be more fun than getting up every day and talking to founders who yes. are completely, in, you know, energized about building something new and often building something that no one else has that they have their own new idea and they're creating something from scratch that's going to be mm -hmm. the future and so we kind of get to see the future before it happens I'm, I'm getting to see glimpses of what the future could be uh, often two to three years before it's reality uh, and and that's the coolest thing that can be possible I wouldn't want to trade that in for anything so I do this um, and if I happen to make money at it, that's even better. But I'm doing right. this because it's fun. No, no, I, I, I agree. I was in the startup world in college. And I would say that um, it's so fun to solve these problems that no one has ever even looked at or has even like uh, thought about. And um, being part of the, the wave of trying to solve a bigger problem while still small at a community in like University of California, San Diego, and trying, actually trying and like, persisting to try to solve the problem i mean i ended up failing my startup because it was it was uh the proof of concept didn't just really really didn't um pull through because we were trying to run a car on on seawater instead of gas but uh -huh. then dynamically just didn't make sense but uh i was still that kid that just really was innocent just wanted okay we could run a car on seawater we have so much seawater why can't we run it but then yes there's so much fun in angel investing i mean i wouldn't say i'm an angel investor but i will say i'm a startup founder so thank you very much for um, uh, giving us a little background about um, your angel investing side as, as to why it's fun and why you do what you do now. So can you talk a little bit more about um, how you maybe got into real estate um, just from exiting from your operating business to now angel investing? And then mm -hmm. I see here you have um, gotten into real estate investments and development projects. What does that mean? Um, well. My, my full-time focus now is on technology. 
I am a licensed real estate broker, although I'm oh. inactive in California. I've been since 1987, I believe, because my wow. first business was actually a more, I started out as a mortgage broker. Uh, and back then in the eighties in California, mortgage brokers needed a California real estate brokers license. So yeah. I went through that process. Um, now they're regulated differently. Uh, so in a prior life, I was a mortgage broker. I've always loved real estate. I've uh, personally owned a lot of commercial, various commercial real estate over the years and mm -hmm. uh, participated in other people's projects. I've even uh, developed a shopping center from scratch one time. I don't want to do that again. Uh, <laughs> it, it is not what I do today. Uh, right. you know, so I, I've done that. I do some real estate passively now. I'm in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have a diversified personal portfolio, which includes real estate funds as well as some real estate projects. Mm -hmm. um, however, I'm not actively doing commercial or uh, real estate at this right. time. Uh, gotcha. My full-time efforts are focused on technology investing. Uh, my angel investing, as well as my fund I manage, Emerging Ventures, focus 100% on technology startups. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, in, in re really, in regards to that, why did you even choose to diversify in real estate? Or like, why was it in your mind to diversify it or put it into your portfolio? Right. I've always owned real estate. And uh, so it was kind of my first love in business was real estate. It, it's, yeah. uh, uh, it's still in my blood. Uh, my, my whole family always believed in real estate. I believe that real estate should be a big part of everyone's portfolio. Over mm -hmm. the long term, if you look back, for millennia, uh, you know, go back even to ancient times, it yeah. was the landowners versus the peasants. The landowners were always the wealthy. Uh, money, long-term wealth always came from owning land. Uh, and that's just a natural instinct that we have that, so it was important to be a landowner and right. um, you know, uh, investing in real estate is natural, at least to me uh, and our family and our community that we're in, it became that, you know, everyone should own real estate and it's a way to diversify. And no matter what other businesses we owned, I often owned the buildings that we occupied, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so we would invest in real estate, even just for ourselves. If we can occupy, we'd rather own than rent when it's practical. Right. Uh, it was just part of my life since as long as I can remember the fact that uh, it was a natural thing to own real estate. In that case, what's what's most attractive from like, uh, I understand there's a, a unicorn concept of investing in startups, of like investing in like multiple startups and hopes that it would like 100x or 10x or 1000x even, right? right? Um, but with real estate, it's more about what exactly? So yeah, the startup world is very exciting because there are, it, it is asymmetric, as you would say, the downside is fixed, the upside's unlimited. Correct. And that's what I love about startup investing. There is unlimited upside opportunity. Uh, you know, if you get a diversified basket of startups, mm -hmm. let's say, you know, our fund too, that kind of have 75 startups, uh, you're likely to get several that will have a hundred X, but you know, on average, maybe half will fail and yeah. half will have a 10 X exit average. We don't know which that's the fun of it. And within that, average that are 10x that succeed some might only Correct. be 3x and some might be 100x uh, right. which is quite possible in today's world we invest mm -hmm. in a startup at an early stage at say a five or ten million valuation and five mm -hmm. years later it could be a billion dollar company and that's easily a 100x return you know 
uh, our small check of say a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars could yeah. wind up being you know a significant amount of money mm-hmm. uh, um, and pay back the whole fund multiple times over just from one investment and the fun of it is is that you never know which one it's going to be um, huh. and real estate is a counterbalance to that to answer mm-hmm. your question uh, as you and your audience uh, are probably well aware now um, real estate doesn't do 100x but it's real estate's the get rich slow part you have to get rich quick and you have to get rich slow it's more like a wealth preservation and with leverage uh with leverage you can magnify that and most people who own real estate have some debt on it and debt you know um, real estate financing right now is both readily available and very inexpensive. It's all time record lows. So it's, yeah. uh, that's pushing valuations up but at the same time. It's a good time to own real estate because there's a pre-show. It's also an inflation hedge as we feel it. Uh, it seems like there's tremendous inflationary pressures right now. Everything around us is going up. Um, mm-hmm. Labor is going up dramatically as wages are going up dramatically, uh, partly fueled by COVID. But, um, you have everything's going up tremendously. Correct. Food is up. Everything and and with that, the mar- the the public markets are up, which is fine. But mm-hmm. uh, also, uh, real estate's been up tremendously um, in the last several years. But it continues to grow. Uh, I'm not worried about it crashing because it in the long run is always gone up. There can be some pauses. There can be some periods where real estate might not go up as much. If interest Correct. rates start to go back up and it's hard to buy, there might be flattening. Uh, but with the general inflation, mm-hmm. real estate's there as a hedge. So if you have real estate and you have it leveraged, you're now owning real estate that's worth more over time and you're paying it back with dollars that are worth less. Um, right. So you have, you, know, you can magnify your gains on real estate uh, with some leverage, of course, leverage is risky. Everyone mm-hmm. to their own appetite. Uh, some people want to have no leverage. Some people have very high leverage. There's something yeah. in between. Everyone has their own comfort level of where they want to be on that and what's their purpose and what else they have in their portfolio and what, where, what stage they're at in life on the risk scale mm-hmm. uh, to do that appropriately. But um, properly leveraged conservative real estate um, that is uh, is a good part of, I believe, anyone's diversified portfolio. I can't say put all your money into early stage startups. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask. Uh, alternative uh, investing. I mean, general rule of thumb, what you hear from wealth advisors globally is that yeah. alternative investments, including things like hedge funds or mm-hmm. even cryptocurrencies or early stage private, you know, so tech investing, like we're doing at the early stage, which is private stock. Uh, should be five to ten percent of of a portfolio, depending on your risk level, but probably not more than that. Uh, in, in my case, it is significantly more than that because it's my day job, and I got into it. And I understand it, and yeah. I feel that. I mean, I have over thirty percent of my net worth in early stage tech, but I'm comfortable with it because it's diversified across multiple vintages, multiple sectors, and multiple geographies. So I feel I have dirt even though it's a lot in one segment, which is generically called early stage tech, um, I have now over 600 separate angel investments that I've made over the last eight years. And I'm continuing to expand that and um, almost every week. And 
um, it doesn't scare me because uh, even though many of them fail, most yep. don't. I've seen mm -hmm. the progression over time. I have a good IRR, my overall personal portfolio. And while it takes many years to get liquidity on them, they're illiquid, and that's the biggest downside. The, um, the plus side is that it's diversified. Huge upside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And while it would be a big mistake for someone to decide to be an angel investor and just go out there and randomly make one or two angel investments, uh, it's then it's all or nothing. That's and you probably pro yeah. If they fail, they fail, and you're done. And if if you happen to get lucky and they work out great, then that's great. But it's too binary. And also, yep. you'll probably be facing tremendous adverse selection because without having a lot of like I look at more than five hundred deals a month to select a, a handful, sometimes just one or two. Um, I'm looking at at least 500 a month. The deal flow is tremendous. After so many years of doing this and going to all the pitch events and getting all the access to all the accelerator programs, university programs, uh, angel yep. groups, and so forth, you get to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. There's 30, 40, 50 deals a day that we get to, to look at. And often you can glance at a deck for 30 seconds and dismiss it. Yeah. Uh, you only want to dig in deeper on the ones that are interesting, at least to our thesis. Um, but um, so it's, you can dismiss them pretty quickly. It's still a lot of work, but you can dismiss it. You get to see what's going on, dismiss them quickly. The point is that if someone's going to go out there and try to be an angel investor, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily recommend it unless you're really serious about it. So it's best to do it passively. And, you know, uh, lots of good funds out there, lots of good ways to do it. But there's professionals like myself who have mm -hmm. gone through the learning curve and now see hundreds of deals per month and can select a handful to put into the fund and gotcha. write a single check, get into a fund, get a diversified basket, you're likely to have a good outcome um, on the overall basket. Individual deals within the fund will fail, but overall the basket is likely to do well. Uh, I, if you wanna be an angel investor, that's great. Go join a local angel group. There's amazing angel networks th throughout the country. You can join a local angel group, start to steal some deal flow, uh, yeah. attend, attend multiple meetings before you try to make an investment, see many deals, start to get a feel for it. Um, you know, and before you actually pull the trigger on anything and then, uh, and then you should decide that, you know, let's say you have 50,000 to put into angel startups, uh, mm -hmm. write a bunch of small checks. Don't be afraid to write tiny checks, go into syndicated deals. And I'd rather see you write 50, $1,000 checks over a three year period. Then write yeah. a two two $25,000 check. check. Yeah, write a $25,000 check to the first star if you see, and you write two of them, and then you're done. Uh, yeah. It's not it's not wise uh, yeah. at all. So either go into a fund or get serious about angel investing and realize that it takes a lot of work and go out there and decide to have fun with it and meet a lot of startup founders, spend a lot of time before you invest, and then when you start investing, write really small checks, like at no more than 2% of that basket. Um, to each startup uh, so that you can have a diversified portfolio of your own if you want to construct one yourself. Got it. Got it. Uh, okay. Well, what are your thoughts on um, startup angel investors being aware of these real estate opportunities? Um, we, I know we talked about the angel investors in deal flow, but what about um, the real estate opportunities that come maybe for um, someone pitching them um, to diversify in real estate? Are they aware? Um, most investors, 
that I know do have mm. some real estate. Uh, okay. We don't talk about that much when we're talking because our main focus is, is yes, is technology and startup investing. Um, but uh, I'm quite aware that most of my fellow angel investors do also have real estate. Some of them are very big in real estate and have that as kind of their day job. Uh, many of them have built their first wealth over the years in their families with real estate and now are diversifying into technology. Uh, gotcha. most, many of them have 30 to 50% of their net worth in real estate. Got it. Got it. And if you could give two cents, uh, what would be your advice for angel investors that are looking into getting into real estate or angel investing? I can speak more about the angel investing part okay. and you know, I, it's a lot of what I just spoke about. I don't want to be redundant, but, um, either join a fund mm-hmm. or join an angel group locally. And you can search online now with COVID in particular, all the pitch events are virtual. So you don't have to travel anywhere. If you just search for startup, uh, pitch events, you'll find many, many, most of them are free for investors to attend. So as long as you're an accredited investor, you can sign up as an accredited investor to attend pitch events. And it's a free way to learn. You can see the pitches, the same pitches that I'm seeing from startups all over the country and all over the world, uh, from the comfort of even your phone, uh, on, because they're almost all on zoom and you can, you know, log in from a zoom you don't have you can you're just there in the audience you don't have to be on a i do things like volunteer to be on judging panels and moderators and and other things but um you're perfectly fine just attending as an investor in the audience uh on mute and listen in and watch you know 10 12 sometimes 20 something startups pitch back to back in a two hour period. Uh, they often have a format of a three to five minute pitch and maybe another three to five minute Q and a, um, uh, and you get to then hear the pitches and you get to hear the expert judging panel ask questions or a moderator ask some questions right. and see other questions typed in from the audience and so forth. And you start to get the feel for how these are underwritten. So, the best way now it's an ultimate time to get in because there's more than ever going on and it's all virtual still. Um, so you can just really easily find pitch events, listen into them and get a feel for this whole side of it. Even if you don't and decide whether or not you want to ever invest, but it's a way to understand that whole business, uh, in a harmless way, kind of like fun entertainment. It's kind of like tuning into a shark tank. Yeah. Uh, you know, people think of startup investing, they think of, uh, the, the very now popular TV series, mm-hmm. which, uh, shark tank, um, yeah. and that's made actually startup investing much more popular and much more uh, made the general population much more aware of the concept. And, and, you know, and, and that's one side of it. If you go to the angel events, you'll, or other pitch events, uh, some have topic specific, some are very technical, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see a, a different set of startups, often more technical ones, not necessarily consumer products. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, yeah, it depends on the type of program you're attending. You can attend a program that's all medical devices. You could attend the program. that's all biotech. You can attend the program that is for FinTech, or you can attend, there's others that are much more varied and have a little bit of everything in there. I had a question of my own. It was, I was thinking, okay, 
Um, typical IRR in a real estate investment deal for commercial, if you invest passively, is about like 15 to 20. Um, being conservative, let's say 15. Um, so what's the typical IRR and window like for startup angel investing? Right. So that's a very good question. And um, funds like ours and most other, you know, whether they're private equity funds doing layer stage or whether they're early stage funds are usually targeting a three to five X net return. And that's a net return on a closed end fund over basically a seven year period. So you go through the regular, the same J curve where Correct. the first two to three years money's being spent. We're investing into startups and yep. we're spending money. We're spending, you know, there's the expenses of running the fund accumulating without any income. Yeah. Uh, so the first two or three years, you actually show a small loss from the expenses with no income. After that, as these startups start to have exits, yeah, we get money back and the money gets distributed. So it's not all at once. Unlike a real estate project, you might get cash flow along the way. And then at the exit, you have the final gain on sale. Right. Um, funds that invest in startups don't have cash flow, but they do usually starting year three or four, start to have some exits. Uh, and the early exits aren't the great ones. You know, the early exits, so? are, well, it takes time to build a unicorn. Uh -huh. so, yeah, it does, foundation-wise. and then you uh, It does take time. If you look, say, even at Airbnb and Uber that went public, they were like 12 to 15 years from when they were founded until they went public. Correct. So those exits weren't in three years. No. If you're an angel investor in the pre-seed round of either of those, three or four years later, you own stock that was worth more money. You had a paper IRR, but you didn't have cash flow. Right. You got, you got zero money in your pocket until they went public. And got it. Got it. Um, funds that held it probably sold some shares in order to close down the fund. Uh, you know, there's a secondary market at some point when, when startups get large enough, there starts to be a secondary market for their private yep. shares. So there's a yeah. bit with, there's some opportunity for liquidity, you know, five to seven years into it as these companies mature and you're leaving money on the table by doing that. But if you need liquidity, it's available, but in general, the mechanics are to answer your first question on this mm -hmm. and the IR, uh, you're looking for a five, I mean, a three to five X total multiple. So let's say, you know, make it simple. You invest in a hundred startups and 50 yep. fail eventually over several year period uh, mm. and 50 make it. By make it means they have an exit with a positive return, right? So they yep. have some kind of exit where they sell to a competitor or get bought up by one of the big tech companies, you know, like Google or Facebook or whoever comes or Amazon or any other company out there right, comes out and buys them, um, you know, if, and you get a nice, every time there's an exit, that cash comes into the fund and gets distributed to the partners. So you get yeah. your money back in pieces. And over the whole seven year period, you expect to get back three to five times the your original initial. money. Mm -hmm. at, at a 3x, it's somewhere in the mid teens. It's probably right around, depending on how the distribution of that money came over time you're probably around a 15% to 17% IRR if it's a 3x. If it's a 5x, it can be, you know, it can be much higher double digit. You can be in the 20s very nicely on the IRR. Uh, again, it depends on 
how that money came back over time. You know, if it all came back towards the seven year, it's less IRR than if you got the money back partly in three years and four years and five years. Uh, so right, IRR right. is very dependent on timing. Uh, but total, total return is what's measured more on these kind of funds. Uh, you're measuring how much total are you going to get back for every dollar invested. And Correct. I said that the general rule of thumb is three to five X. That's the, that's the target return. Got it. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. In, in regards to um, um, IPO on the startup, um, what happens after um, an IPO? Do, they, do you as a startup angel investor look for more startups to put in the fund or how does that work? Right. So our funds are closed end funds. So okay. we have an investment period and then as we harvest, we distribute and then we keep opening new funds. So every two to three years, we have to start. So, um, you know, in 2019, I had emerging ventures fund one. And then we, in April this year, we started investing from emerging ventures fund two because fund one was closed. Correct. And about a year and a half, we'll have to open emerging ventures fund three, all the money coming back into fund two, as we have exits, will get distributed to the partners. We don't get to recycle it. We don't get to reinvest. It's a closed end fund. Uh, so I we see, keep starting for each vintage. We'll have its own new fund and partners can come in or not. The limited partners can choose to reinvest or not. Uh, they can get their money back from fund one, start getting some money back on fund one and say, okay, I want to put some of that into fund three, or I yeah. want to invest it with somebody else, or I want to invest in real estate, or I just want to sure. spend it. It's up to them. So as a fund manager, we don't make that choice. As a fund manager, we can choose to start new funds and we can have funds that do the exact same thing, or we can open funds that do something else. Like for example, right. my partner and I now are contemplating starting a fund that mm -hmm. is a follow-on fund because many of our startups in fund one and even some in fund two are, are raising, a, they're raising additional rounds. Uh, they're, they're doing well and they're raising new rounds at higher valuations. Mm -hmm. And we have the opportunity, the founders come back and say, Hey, do you want to participate in this new round? And right now we have to say no. Um, and, okay. uh, uh, we may make a separate fund that is just there. And many other fund managers have done this. It's a very common concept there to be a, a follow on fund, whatever they call it. They might call it an opportunity fund or, um, so it's a fund to like, let's say if the first fund is investing in pre-seed and seed stage startups, yeah. the second fund would be investing in series A and series B mm -hmm. stage startups. Um, you know, maybe we're investing primarily in companies valued around $10 million, but then the next round would be investing in 15. companies worth 50 to a hundred million dollars right. at the time. Uh, so it's a way to diversify into different stages as well as to double down on companies that we know well, that are doing well, that are ready in our portfolio. Exactly. Uh, so that would be another way to diversify within the same space and but we don't do that from the same fund. That would be now some other fund managers do do it in the mm -hmm. same fund. They keep a reserve for follow on. They might invest only 70% of a fund yep. and startups and they keep 30% in reserve to invest in follow on. Um, we currently don't, but we might do it from a separate fund. And yep. that's one way. So you're saying, okay, what happens along the process? And then when the company, and IPO is rare. You say, what happens when a company has an IPO? Well, if you're still holding the shares when they have the IPO, the fund, mm -hmm. then there's a six-month lockup period. And after that, we can sell the shares on the market. 
and get Correct. liquidity and pass it on to our to our uh, partners. Um, uh, more likely, we would have our liquidity before the IPO. Uh, and nowadays with SPACs, it's possible. Some companies are going public really fast again. It went full cycle. It went from companies going public early, like in three to four years after a yeah. seed round, to yeah. them taking forever, uh, which then created the pressure to make these SPACs, which are now taking early stage companies public really early again, like re- pretty much around the B and C rounds. I mean, it's really, yeah. really early companies. Uh, companies that are barely like raising at a hundred million dollar valuation are suddenly going into SPACs and going getting listed publicly uh, much sooner than expected. Whether it's good or bad, I don't know, but it, it provides <laughs> it provides liquidity. Uh, I was just and, gonna ask that if like what's the risk of uh, going into SPAC and going public so early? Yeah, well, like... the downside is that we don't get to hold the private shares longer and get you know let them become unicorns even sometimes. Although sometimes. Right. I mean, the upside is the SPAC itself might make them a unicorn for us instantly, which is great. It's a sooner return. Uh, on the other side, of course, those investing in the SPAC, that's a whole risk of its own. Uh, I'm not an expert on SPACs, but uh, mm-hmm. you're really investing into a fund that's a blind fund that's going to invest in only one company. So yeah. investing in a SPAC without, is, is risky because you're giving someone literally a blank check to go buy a single company and then take it public. So it's kind of all or nothing on that one company. It's again, like angel investing in one startup. Uh, so if you're going to do SPACs that way, put a small amount of money into multiple of them would be my only advice. Again, diversify, always diversify. Well, thank you very much, uh, David, for coming on along. Um, I appreciate you being here. And so how can people, uh, learn more about you or reach out to you? Sure. Uh, easiest is probably the fund's website, emerging.vc. Okay. Let me and, yeah. Emerging.vc. Uh, emerging. Right. Yeah. E- emerging.vc. And it should pop up our fund. And it has our investment philosophy as well as my contact information and a link to my LinkedIn. You can also search for David Mandel. I'm on LinkedIn and just about everywhere else on the internet. So I'm pretty easy to find. I reply to messages on LinkedIn. Um, and my email is dmandel at emerging.vc. So I'm easy to reach directly as well. But that's, you can use a link from our website to get to me either way. So you don't have to write any of that down. Got it. Got it. So please visit emerging, emerging.vc um uh david mandel's website for emerging tech funds and you can reach out to him on linkedin or email but um check out emerging.vc when you can and david thank you very much thank you thank you thank you for being on the startup rei show the number one real estate investing show for startup angel investing thanks for having me yeah on the stream now